I liked your Schoenberg post. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. That stuff is fascinating. Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at Steinway & Sons and for the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is Steinway artist Jesse Carmichael, who plays keyboards and rhythm guitar for the chart-topping pop rock band Maroon 5. Carmichael took a year and a half hiatus from the group in 2012 to pursue studies in music and the healing arts. During this time, he started a musical side project called 1863. Carmichael spoke to me at Steinway Hall in New York City. Can you tell me what you had for breakfast real quick? Today, my girlfriend and I cooked up some eggs and broccoli, shallots, and shiitake mushrooms in a wok. We added some leftover drunken Chinese uh, noodles that we ate for dinner last night. That's a good call. All right. (laughs) That's your sound check? (laughs) That's it. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Speaking of that, Missy Elliott's new video I just saw on the ride over here. Okay. It's incredible. It's for her new song, WTF. Ever since the Super Bowl, she's been back in the conversation, which is great. I mean, she never really left. No. But she just sort of reminded us that, like, hey, yeah. you kind of need to pay attention to me. And Pharrell is on the track and pushing Wrong. things forward. I'm so faded, no exaggeration. Back breaking like a percolation. Boys to the yard for some hip spanking. Way I'm making drop down like an animation. Can't take it, them chicks be faking. Y'all still sleep, better stay awake. Hot new dance for the hood to make it. Make it don't move fast, make you think you're drinking. When did you pick up keyboard? Guitar was was the first instrument. Yeah, well, my first instrument was piano as a little kid. Okay, I, you know, was learning those little tiny Mozart for kids pieces. Right. And then in high school, I switched to guitar, and that was my main instrument. And I played that in my band for the first six years or so. Then when we were thinking about changing our name to Maroon Five, I started playing more keyboards. And our whole sound was changing, you know, to a sound that was more influenced by the stuff we were listening to, which was Stevie Wonder, Herbie okay. Hancock. So funk and jazz and, and, yeah. and so we fusion, keyboards. really, huh? Yeah. In the past, when I've played keyboard and rock bands and in funk bands, with rhythm guitar and with lead guitar and vocal and drum and bass, a big concern has always been, okay, where do I fit in? And, and trying to sort of provide a cloud of support. Mm-hmm. For, for what's happening. Right. Do you have to make similar tactical decisions like that in Maroon 5? Yeah. Keyboard? I think that the way I think about keyboards in the band, the way I thought about it, especially when we were recording our first album, the first three albums, I'd say, um, is as a textural element that really kind of adds ambient stuff into the second verse, for example. It's always a good spot for something new to come in and a lift in the chorus with some sort of high frequency element and of course synths doubling bass lines or piano low notes doubling bass lines is a great sound and so yeah i think the word support is a good one to use now here's what's interesting and and that a lot of people don't know is that you took this break from maroon 5 to pursue uh first music studies Mm -hmm. composition orchestration piano lessons and the healing arts yeah i you know when we started touring, the 
schedule of being on the road like that, especially in the beginning in a van, is kind of grueling. So I was definitely pushed towards trying to figure out ways to stay healthy and happy in that environment. And so that led me into the realms of acupuncture and nutrition and craniosacral massage work is a really cool kind of subtle extension of body work, like a massage, but that goes deeper into uh, just sort of the relationship between the body and emotions. And so there were all these areas that I was really interested personally in, in terms of staying healthy and happy. And then I thought, well, why not learn about them for myself, but also in order to be able to share them with friends and loved ones. Just as that was a counterbalance to your life on the road, it seems to me that musically, uh, your 1863 project is a counterpoint to Maroon 5. It's an acoustic, more acoustic uh, mm-hmm. uh, project. I dig it, man. It, it has this real sort of post-Lennon singer-songwriter. Like, you know, sort of like holding back on the verse, yeah. letting out on the chorus, like yeah, in that you. element.
Yeah, that's what I've done so far with 1863. But what I like about 1863 as a concept for my side project is that it's totally open-ended and can be something different from recording to recording. So maybe the next time I do some recordings, it'll be in the style of some sort of weird electronic music. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm keeping it open. 1863, is it, is it a significant year? Well, I found it inside of a t-shirt that I got from a gift bag once, right around the time when I was thinking about what I would call any music that I did on my own outside Maroon 5. And it was written in the inside of this t-shirt in cursive letters, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. And I just thought, well, that's great. That's a perfect little... Perfect name for a freeing project. Like yeah, and one. I mean... The word freedom is such a powerful word, and I like the idea of taking steps towards it, you know, continuously, because the Emancipation Proclamation obviously wasn't a complete success right out of the gate. So it's sort of like this ongoing process of trying to discover what does the word freedom really mean. And now it seems that I have noticed there is something wrong. finger on I must admit that there were signs I think I should have saw piano studies, your composition studies, your studies in orchestration, your venture into the classical canon. What is that all leading you toward? I'm just trying to study music and improve as a musician constantly. And I think about music as just this giant world with all these different genres in it, obviously, but they're all connected. And so work that I do on a classical piece will help me in some way as I'm figuring out a guitar part for a new song of our bands. Um, so it's just about kind of deepening my relationship with music, with sound, so that I become a more sensitive musician and a better player in general. And that is funny because it's all just sort of tied in with life, like the studies of music and the way you are learning something and the way you deal with making a mistake and forgiving yourself and all that stuff. It's all very tied up in the realms of emotional life and interactions with people. So I'm excited about it all. Specifically, what are you investigating in the classical sphere right now? I'm working on Debussy's Claire de Lune right now, and um, maybe I'll expand to the other movements in that piece. And I always like working on Bach stuff, because in my counterpoint, 
lessons with my orchestration teacher, we talk about this as being sort of like the grammar of music. You've got to understand voice leading really well um, before you move into things like orchestration. The end goal with that is probably film scoring. I'm very interested in making music for films and I love movies. And so it's kind of perfect to pair my two favorite things, music and movies together. If you scored a movie, would you see it uh, as an orchestral scoring, as a solo piano scoring? You also play guitar and saxophone. Would you try to bring as many of your instrumental loves in as possible? Yeah, or any other players. You know, I would just definitely be thinking about the movie itself and what it needs sonic-wise. You have a, a deep appreciation of not only these uh, ventures into composition and orchestration, but music production, and you had this great you know, setup for your acoustic piano that is allowing you to do loops. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of focus and understanding of gear. And when I listen to Maroon 5, one of the things that stands out is the pristine production quality yeah. of those tracks, which is, of course, essential in the pop world. But it's not something that everyone achieves, and it's mm-hmm. it's certainly not something you can take for granted. But I mean, there's no rivets sticking out yeah, on, on that, that's on that right. ship. No drag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the rivets are recessed, out of sight. <laughs> great producers and especially right now max martin's whole team of wizards on the last two records that the band has put out have been just incredible in terms of creating really high fidelity sonic experiences for really catchy pop music tunes do the musicians in the band themselves have a lot of involvement in the post-production side of a track could you take me a bit through the process of the way it's been working for the last two albums has been an interesting one because a lot of the songs are coming in from outside songwriters right now. You know, the first three albums, we wrote all of our music and we were more involved with the production side of things. And then the song Moves Like Jagger came in and that was kind of a departure for the band and it kind of pointed us towards this direction of the dance world and the pop world that we're in right now. Just shoot for the stars If it feels right While we've been exploring those things, we've had people submitting songs that are already pretty polished demos. And we all get into the studio and add our instruments on top of that. And then they take what we've put down and incorporate it back into their mixes. And they work with Adam mainly as the uh, 
Finnish songwriter guy. He changes some of the lyrics and changes the melodies and kind of brings it into the Maroon 5 world. Moves like Jagger. There's a bulletproof riff yeah. that <laughs> goes through that. Can you tell me how that how that came about? I, mean, I don't how, know how that came about. Yeah. We'd have to ask Shellback <laughs> about that. Okay. Beyond classical, historically, what music have you been drawn to and what is sort of holding your interest now? The jazz world is my main focus right now. Listening to the great players like Horace Silver, Bill Evans, and Herbie Hancock, Keith Jarrett. These guys are true giants. What I love is all of the different genres that a lot of these artists went through. You think about Miles Davis and how many different sounding albums he made. Super inspiring. You know, sometimes I ask, like, who is the artist who has transitioned most in their career from genre to genre? And I think Miles Davis might be it's gotta the be. guy. It's yeah. got to be. In every decade, he was trying on some new clothes. Incredible. Yeah. As you said, these are all giants of jazz. They're also master improvisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing Herbie Hancock play, and someone on sax played what you could just be considered a wrong note. Mm-hmm. And suddenly Herbie had shifted the landscape and made it sound completely right. Right. Like just in a second. Right. Well, what did Miles say about how there's no such thing as a mistake? What I realize now is that Miles didn't hear it as a mistake. He heard it as something that happened, just an event. And so that was part of the reality of what was happening at that moment. And he dealt with it. Since he didn't hear it as a mistake, he felt it was his responsibility to find something that fit. <laughs> and he was able to do that. that. That taught me a very big lesson about not only music, but about life. Have you gotten into improvisation at all as a yeah, player? I love improvising. And I, a friend of mine, Sam, who plays in our band now, we always talk about this idea that you play a note that sounds wrong to you. All you got to do is play it one more time, and then it sounds intentional. So, <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's that great book, Effortless Mastery, by the piano player Kenny Warner. And he talks a lot about how whatever key you're playing in, you throw down a note, you're only at most a half step away from a note that you like, up or down. So you can always get yourself out of any situation. The The key, I guess, is the technique to translate ideas into your head, uh, from your head into your fingers, and the confidence and fearlessness to just invent. That idea transfers to composition as well. It's the tri-chord theory of composition, where you try that chord. Try that chord. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks, man. Thanks for talking to me. Well done. Easy peasy. This has been fun. You've been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard a clip of the eponymous track from Missy Elliott's album WTF, Where They From, on Atlantic Records. We heard clips from Maroon 5's Sugar from 5 on 222 and Interscope, and Moves Like Jagger from Hands All Over on A&M Octone, and Like a Bird Without a Wing by 1863. We heard in full Help Is Only a Heart Away by 1863. And we heard Herbie Hancock talk about when Miles Davis bailed him out when Hancock played the wrong chord. 
proved positive after I witnessed Herbie live return the favor decades later, that life really does come full circle. Our intro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at listenmusicculture.com. Our outro music is Floating Music by 1863, a side project of Steinway artist Jesse Carmichael. Questions for the podcast can be sent to info at steinway.com with the subject heading Soundboard. Thank you for listening.